Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in today for another episode. I got to speak with Kate Deering today. Kate wrote the book, How to Heal Your Metabolism. I personally have been on a pro-metabolic kick for some time now, and I'm really enjoying what I'm getting out of it. This book has played an integral role and provided me with some really important tips to help me just continue to, to to progress in a way that my body is really showing up better for me. And I am very appreciative that she took the time to chat with me. I enjoyed it and I hope you do too. Kate Deering, thanks for joining me on the Mindful Movement Podcast. Thanks for having me, Les. Super happy to be here. So you're into nutrition, to say the least. I read a book called How to Heal Your Metabolism that you wrote. Um, I did. I kind of binged through it pretty quickly, and uh, I thought it was fantastic. Thank you for writing it. Well, thank you. I, I it took it was a it it was some effort. You know, no one ever tells you writing a book is like having three babies at one time. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I have not uh, dipped my toe in that process. <laughs> Probably won't. But um, yeah, over the years, I've been working with folks, and along the way of trying to learn how to play a bigger role in my own sense of well-being, trying to uh, guide others through that. And there's so many times where it just seems to come back to food. Um, not that it's the only lever we can pull, but it's just such a clearly big lever that we could interact with and make significant changes in fairly short periods of time. Um, and it's just something that we all have to deal with. Uh, you know, yes. you, you can decide not to go to the gym and still be healthy. You could decide to, to do a lot of things and still find a way to be successful, but you can't just decide not to eat and then still get the outcomes you want. You have to face the decisions of how do I, you know, navigate this part of my life. Exactly. That's very true. Uh, I really appreciated the, um, like the structure of the book. 
and the context that you lay. I was thinking, um, I don't want to, you know, give all the gems of the book away, but I would like to take the audience for a, a little ride here and maybe, um, you know, let them get a taste. One thing that really rings rings through is that this um, that metabolism in general kind of mm -hmm. governs everything that goes on in our body. And I was hoping you could maybe start there, Kate, with like how you would define metabolism in a very like simple, easy to digest way, if possible. Yeah, it's a good question because like the whole context of the book is result is is around metabolism, and that's the eyes I looked through when I wrote this book. <clears throat> so metabolism can kind of be defined a few different ways. One would be it's the sum of every metabolic process that goes on in your body. Everything right. that occurs in your body requires energy, and so we don't run on air. So we require energy, whether you're getting it from food or you're getting it from yourself. Your body can certainly be broken down and be utilized as energy. The Another kind of definition of metabolism is it's how well your body turns the food you consume into usable energy. So we can't use food energy, the calories in food directly. We have to convert it. We have to digest it, absorb it, transport it, and then use it in the cell appropriately to actually make energy or ATP. And then that's the energy that our body runs on. So it's not just the food energy, we still have to convert it. And what people don't understand on some level is there can be a lot of blocks in that process that might inhibit somebody from producing optimal energy. The food can certainly be one, you just might not have good resources, but if your body isn't running optimally, maybe through life, it's gone through adaptations, then you might not actually be able to convert the food you are consuming into adequate energy. So that's also going to create problems in the system. Okay, nice summary. Um, so I want to get into some of those blocks. But um, even before, like, let's say, because now that I'm getting a clearer picture of the, the role of like metabolism on a general level on like how health is expressed. I feel like I'm seeing it in a lot of people, uh, yes. you know, mm -hmm. definitely in myself at times, I feel like it's getting better. And I, mm -hmm. maybe I can get some advice on the, on mm -hmm. the call here of um, mm -hmm. maybe something I might be messing up, but um, it's like, I'm seeing it everywhere around me. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing the effects of stress on metabolism and then um, how that manifests in so, in so many different ways. But if someone is, um, you know, maybe they aren't a hundred percent. They have a reference point of, they know they felt better at some point in their life. And like, they don't, and they don't know exactly um, what's wrong or where to look at. Like what's a common, what are some common signs that people might experience um, if their metabolism is, is not up to steam, is not optimized? It is sluggish as I like to say. Um, so one thing I do like about this approach is the, there are like objective measurements you can use at home that can kind of tell you what's going on with yourself. One of them that I like to use is just using a, ba a basal thermometer. You can just take it and take your temperature and then note what your temperature is. Now, ideally <clears throat> you should be at around 98.6 during the day or 37 degrees Celsius. You should wake up around 97.8. And so if you're waking up and your temperature is 95 degrees, well, we know that you're not producing ample amount of heat. Through the metabolic processes that you're creating energy, 
one of the byproducts is heat. So just like a fire would create heat when it's burning, your body creates heat when it's burning, when it's burning food or burning or creating energy. So that would be one way. And another one is we just take your pulse as well. So you're ideally with a good metabolism, your pulse should be around 75 to 90 beats a minute. So it's not super low. And I know people are like, but my doctor said 50 was good. And where they're looking at as the context of maybe cardiovascular health, just in its own vacuum over there. And they're saying, look, you're super efficient, your heart rate's going and, you're, and, which, and your body's going to adapt to that and your body's pulse will drop. You will see that in every long distance athlete. When I used to do a lot of endurance uh, events, my pulse was like 55 beats. And that is an adaptive process you go through. So your body's always going to adapt. You go run along a long time, your body is going to try to conserve energy eventually. It's burning a lot when you're actually going through that process, but it doesn't want to just burn all your muscle tissue to get from A to B. So it, what it starts doing is just tr slowly but surely slowing down your basal metabolic rate or how much maybe calories you're burning at rest so that when you go on these long runs, it becomes more efficient right? So you're, when you're on a long run, you don't want to have to eat every 30 minutes just to keep up. Um, because, you know, but if you go on a long run, you could burn three, 4,000 calories and you haven't eaten that, right? So again, because your body's like, look, we want to keep you alive. We don't really want to break down your muscle tissue because it's super valuable, you know? So we're going to just slow everything down a little bit so you don't have to use as much energy. And then you see that with people that are these longer endurance athletes, they usually are quite constipated. A lot of women have either PMS or they miss their period. They might start having sleep issues. They might start feeling a little frazzly during the day or fatigue. And they kind of just say, well, I, I'm getting older. There's other stress. And it, it could be, right? I'm not saying that that's the only thing, but it, it, it can accumulate. And again, your body's quite smart and it's always trying to keep you alive. Number one, keep you alive. It's, this, its job is not to give you good digestion, nor is it giving you the ability to procreate, because those are all high demand energy things. It is to keep you alive. And if you put a lot of burden on your body, whether it's emotional work stress, exercise stress, whatever, and you don't provide it with enough food, then it will shift to be able to manage those external loads on you. Gotcha. Is that slower heart, sorry, is that slower heart rate inherently a problem on its own? Or is it just a proxy for like a... a a suppressed metabolism that could lead to all those other things you just mentioned. Like I remember priding myself when I was a, a distance athlete on a low heart rate, like it was um, like a badge of honor or something. And now I understand like that's not ideal, but is that in itself a sign of a problem? Like if somebody feels good, but their heart rate, resting heart rate is, you know, in the low fifties or. Right. <clears throat> um, it's probably to look at that variable independently, it would be challenging if I met with someone and there was had a lower heart rate, but every other metabolic marker was good, then it wouldn't be something I'd worry about. I don't think any marker should be taken independently and establish your health, right? You shouldn't be like that sure. one thing. Same thing with blood sugar. You know, you shouldn't just take your blood sugar and go, oh, it's a little high. I'm my God, I need to never eat carbs again. It's it it and and we do that in our space, right? We 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 all obsess over this one new thing and then we make every decision based on that one thing. And I'm like, look, there are other markers that you can pay attention to that are all run with a healthy metabolism. <clears throat> and those are good sleep, right? So sleep should definitely be taken into consideration. Those are having a bowel movement at least once a day and a warm stool. That's 
Um, urinating five to six times a day. I, I meet people that are urinating like 25 times a day. So that's a little obsessive. Um, you know, having good hair and skin and um, just mood. All of those are signs of how well your metabolism is running. Essentially everything, every symptom in your body is a sign because there's some sort of breakdown happening. That system isn't getting adequate energy to run itself. And people, and what I hear from people like, well, I have 50 pounds to lose. I have plenty of energy on me. And I'm like, yes, I get that. But it's always about, is your body capable of utilizing this appropriate energy to make energy for you to use? And if, if you've already adapted to a lower metabolic rate because of all the stress and so forth or poor eating or skipping meals, and then you accumulate body fat, now you're operating at a lower level. And so again, your body's going to try to conserve energy. And so that when you eat, it won't burn as much, it conserves. So now you feel, find you can't eat as many calories or as food and you still gain weight. And again, there can be other metabolic things that be happening to, the, to you that just make it challenging when you even eat good food for your body to use it and produce energy. And that's where, it, that's the part of the conversation that's really not talked about in most health fields. It's just usually calories in, calories out, eat less calories, lose weight, do more, lose weight without taking into consideration how is your system doing with its ability to turn that food into fuel. And if it's inadequate, if you're really low body temperature, let's say you have a lot of GI issues, um, maybe you have some blood sugar issues, you're, that person is going to have a really hard time converting the food energy into energy for them. So they're eating maybe adequate food, but they're just still tired. They're still fatigued. They're having still other issues. They still can't lose weight and all of these other things. And that's the, the person that's like knocking themselves, their head into the wall. Like, I don't know what to do because gotcha. I think I'm doing everything right, but something obviously is not working for me. And then they just go, it must be because I'm older. And it seems like the hormones have a real important role in modulating or regulating the whole relationship between like the calories in and the calories out, like um, how the calories in affect the calories out, like how it affects that potential. Like you say, if you're walking around with excess weight, it's not necessarily energy. It's like potential. It has a potential to become energy. It's like it's fuel. It's in yep. storage. <clears throat> yep. Um, and I guess hormones play a big role on the of the influx of like whether you're storing more or whether it's kind of running through the system to make that ATP and to to make the heat. Um, and they, the they heat, are certainly sorry, yes, sorry, they would yeah, they would be one factor, of course. Yes, hormones are definitely a factor in how somebody might utilize energy for sure. So the heat is just like a, a byproduct of making of the energy, which keeps us mm -hmm. warm because we're warm blooded. You mentioned that in the morning, it's normal to be a little bit lower mm -hmm. in midday. Is that just because you're coming out of sleep? You're basically coming out of a lower metabolic mm -hmm. um, state because you're still and you're like kind of hibernating in bed or whatever. Yeah. You're in the, in the resting state, you're not going to be producing as much energy. So your body temperature will naturally just get cooler. And so if you actually look at like how people's heat production looks, it's, it looks like a bell curve, you know, it's, lower in the morning, it'll peak around midday. And then as the nighttime comes, it will lower back because you, you'll you sleep better if you're a little bit cooler, right? If you're just raging at 98.6 as you sleep, right? It tends to 
there's like a high metabolic process going on. And so, you know, people, you want to like rest at that point. You don't want to have to deal with all of this food kind of being digested. And if anybody's ever done that, like some people say, you know, they've eaten like a big bowl of ice cream before they go to bed or too big. And they're just like, I was so hot all night. Right. And they can't sleep well. And their body's just trying to burn all that fuel and it makes them really hot. So yeah. That it's not ideal, you know, and that's why they always say it's nice to sleep in 68 degrees because it's just your body likes that cooler temperature when you're sleeping. And, you know, that's just kind of that rest and recovery. There's still a lot of metabolic processes going on because, you, you know, your cells are trying to regenerate, your body's trying to just heal from things. And, you know, and your, you know, your nervous system still requiring energy, all these things are still requiring energy, right? They don't get it, they can die, um, you know, so it, it's just less energy. So you just uh, mentioned, you just implied like the heat from a meal, the bowl of ice cream being problematic. Is that just because in the context of at night and affecting sleep, but in, in general, from what I understand, isn't that kind of a good sign if your meal yes. gets you warm? <laughs> yes, that is a good sign. Yes. I mean, and you, you actually want to eat for heat, right? That's what your food should be doing to you. But in the context of going to bed, that might be disruptive to your gotcha. sleep to be that warm, right? Just like but, exercise but during the day, good. it's great. Yeah. Like exercise is good, but not right before bed. Sure. Um, exactly. Yeah. So we're coming out of, in my household, uh, a several year patch of uh, leaning in, in the uh, like low carb direction, mm-hmm. you know, for health purposes and such. And there were a lot of benefits for a while from that. And um, from what I understand, you kind of went on similar path. I think a lot of people in the fitness and health field did, uh, go, you know, low carb and then lower and then lower and lower and then everything's great. And then it's not exactly. <laughs> um, and, mm-hmm. unf- and I, I feel a little guilty about this, but I manage the food in the house, uh, mm-hmm. the majority of it. So whatever I'm doing, I'm kind of dragging everybody through a mm-hmm. little bit, and, Yay. Uh, which, you know, definitely a little guilt and shame associated with that. But um, like, so now I've uh, a child who has notoriously been, um, I don't know, kind of like cold hand and feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we're introducing a lot more sugar mm. and, um, which has been a fun ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm no longer a skeptic of it, but, mm-hmm. um, and there's been multiple times where my child has like had something and then like, it's just, I'm really warm right now. And mm-hmm. my take from what I understand is like, great. Like, uh, mm-hmm you know, uh, snapshot that data point that's mm-hmm. useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have vilified it, sugar for quite some time. And now I'm seeing the same kind of things with like all the people that I was <laughs> encouraging to keep sugar down, mm-hmm. like similar things. And now it's like, I'm going back on my word in a way. And I have to like, you know, I'm learning new things and it's really interesting, you know, mm-hmm. please learn with me. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm seeing that it's, it's, it's starting to like, they're getting these little moments, these aha moments where they're adding sugar, you know, reluctantly. And then yes. they're like, Oh, that's nice. That yes. feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak on sugar a little bit? I can. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking people right now are like, what are they saying to eat? Like, um, so Sugar in itself, right, is just a disaccharide. It's made of fructose and glucose. It, it, white simple sugar is really uh, nutrient 
void of nutrients. So that's it's just a, a reason why it's not ever recommended as a food. There has no nutrition in it. And certainly eating it in excess um, can be problematic, right? And because a lot of the tasty foods in our life are filled with sugar, you know, that's like, don't eat any of those things. But the most of those tasty foods that are filled with sugar, cookie cakes, and all those other things, candy bars, they're actually primarily fat. They're very calorically dense and a good part of them is fat. So they have fat and sugar in them. And it, what a great way to gain weight is to overeat fat and sugar. So for those reasons, then they're vilified because yeah, they're going to lead to some weight gain. They can lead to some metabolic problems, but that is in excess. But in the context of using it to actually as a fuel source and and also, you know, when I usually reference sugar, I usually put all the simple sugars into that category. And that means all fruits, juice, even the, the sugars in milk, um, honey, um, some well-cooked vegetables, because they're all going to break down ultimately into glucose. Um, I, I don't put in the complex carbohydrates or the starch in that. Not that I'm saying that those are bad, but when I'm usually referencing sugar, that's the category I'm using. And I like to use fruits and juices because they actually do have nutrition in them. So if you're going to have something like sugar, it is always good to supply yourself with the adequate nutrition too, because sugar in itself will break down to glucose very quickly and your body uses it as a first, or first time of energy. It's, it's, that's where it's immediately gonna go and it can use it very quickly. And it, and it goes through the metabolic process very fast. So it can be quite metabolically uh, healthy because it will actually produce a lot of heat. Um, the, the, you know, we get into trouble because we just, like said, we eat these other foods that convey include sugar and fat, and that seems to cause a, cause a problem. Most people aren't getting fat or having issues by just eating white table sugar. They're not just going to eat a ton of that anyways, but if they were eating it independently, they wouldn't have problems. They might eventually have some nutritional deficiencies show up because again, sugar is quite metabolic. It's going to make you utilize nutrition much quicker because when you go through the metabolic process, you need the energy source, but then you also need all these nutrients to run it through the cycles. And so one without the other, you're going to have a problem. <clears throat> so it, it, so when someone starts using this very easy to digest form of energy, it gets utilized at the top part of your small intestine and goes in through the middle part and the jejunum and goes into the blood system and can be utilized very quickly by your cells. So we can get warm pretty quickly. We can get our energy pretty quickly. We don't have to have this massive digestive process to get it. And so for some people that are really compromised or need some, it can be an amazing source of energy. Now, the question is how much and is your body able to manage it appropriately? So for some people, obviously, if they're very sensitive to sugar, and I certainly see that from anybody that comes off a low-carb diet, right? Especially keto or carnivore, because Sensitive that, in, in what way? Well, they're, by removing carbohydrates completely, they basically have created some level of insulin resistance in their body. So what happens is, is when you reinduce it, their body's insulin-like performance is quite slow. And so they're going to see uh, blood sugar spikes. Now it is not pathological and meaning it can actually get better because they haven't really done anything harmful unless they had other issues prior to that. Let's just say they were diabetic prior to that. Then that might be some more pathological issues. But for someone that just goes on a low carb diet to be healthy, didn't have those issues, but they felt better. But now they're like, oh, you know, now I'm starting to see these other issues. Maybe I'm colder, I'm having you know, sleep issues and they add carbs in, they need to go quite slow because they are gonna have a slow response. And what freaks people out 
especially with everyone wearing a CGM these days, <clears throat> they ingest the sugar, they see this spike and they're like, oh, my body can't handle this. They try to get rid, you know, and then they try to do it other ways. Oh, I'm just going to try a low glycemic berry. And so that they won't get that response because they've been conditioned to try to keep their blood sugar really, really stable and really, really low. And that might be a disadvantage to them because they're probably going to have to go through a process where it doesn't look pretty for a while. And I've done that with people with carnivore and we've seen it. They'll be way up there into that 180 range, sometimes higher. They're not eating a bad diet, but their body just cannot manage this introduction. And it's a slow release. And there could be other problems. They could actually have some GI issues, some bacterial issues. It, it could be a plethora of different things right. going on. But it, 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 is that a reason? Because I, I think that's really common, that there's issues in somewhere along that GI path. I mean, yes. I, I find that to be super common with people. Yep. Um, and to me, I find that that's more the reason to lean towards the more sugary things. Like you said a word earlier or a phrase, easy to digest sugars. Mm -hmm. And I find that like personally, um, I'm getting more success, the more sugary the carb is and the mm -hmm. like the less, I guess, starchy it is. Like exactly. maple syrup has become like a uh, life force for me. Mm -hmm. It's like my favorite from the, if you examine like the flavor profiles of all the sugary things, that's mm -hmm. my favorite. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's great. And I know that, like you mentioned earlier, if you, the more sugar you have, the more micronutrients, vitamins and minerals, I guess, to, to mm -hmm. run that system. Mm -hmm. And so I, even though I will use cane sugar, I, I do like the maple syrup and the honey, because I know there's some of that stuff in there, you know, I exactly. don't know how, uh, how accurate we know, like how much vitamins and minerals are in it, but there's some in there. But what I've noticed is that idea of it being digested earlier in the small intestine and like mm -hmm. letting the rest of the GI tract just chill out and rest seems to be more supportive overall than trying to get the carbs from even like fruits, things that would be considered like health food or uh, or vegetables I've, I've dramatically cut those back for some time now but um but the, like I, it's an interesting uh tool to lean on that in many cases when people feel like there is room for improvement in their gut it's it might be reason to lean on the more sugary things even even more yes and, and kind of i'll let me go into that and try to help people understand why right and this is where the perspective of what could be blocking energy production comes in. And a lot of it can come from your GI. And what I've certainly found is 99% of the people I talk to have some sort of GI issue. And a lot of that is, is because your GI is basically works optimally in that parasympathetic or rest digest state. That's when it's activated. And if it, you're in that sympathetic or stress state, well, it actually, that sympathetic state tells your vagal nerve and your GI system to just kind of shut down. So that means you're just not going to get good blood flow to the GI system. And so if you are in a chronic state of stress, unaware of it, you just live in it, your GI is just not going to be working optimally all day long, even when you eat, right? But most people, what are they doing? They're eating in their car, eating in front of their computer, you know, and then they're eating foods that are really hard and challenging for them to break down. So what ends up happening to those foods, right? Because simple sugars, yes, will be digested and absorbed very high up in the intestinal tract. And there's not a lot of waste right? Especially sugars. There will be some waste from uh, fruits and certainly some cooked vegetables. And then of course, if you have things like grains or starchier foods, there's a lot more waste. So the thought is 
that if, if you're eating these foods that have waste in them, then they're going to be more digested later on down into the, the latter part of the small intestine into the colon. And if your body's slow or isn't functioning optimally or, the, or you've been stressed, and when we are stressed, our gut becomes more permeable, or we've heard about this leaky gut, and that means that more things will escape into our blood system that we shouldn't have in there. And so you get all these foods that aren't really being digested. They tend to feed bacteria. Bacteria can proliferate. And then these exact same bacteria can also produce their own toxins. And one of the toxins they can produce is called endotoxin, or they call it LBS uh, lipopolysaccharides. And those endotoxins attach to the outside of the wall of bacteria. And then when the bacteria die, they go into, into the intestinal area first, which is okay. But if you are stressed or have high permeability, they will escape into the blood system and they do all sorts of havoc. To, to go to the extreme level, that is what septic is, right? When someone comes septic and the organs shut down and everything stops working, that is all driven by these levels of toxins from your bacteria. The next level down would just be an endotoxemia. And you will see that in people that are diabetic, they're obese and degenerative diseases, right? They have a high amount in, in chronic fatigue syndrome, a lot of these degenerate autoimmune issues, because all of those individuals have been compromised. And when you are compromised, your GI system gets the brunt of it solely because the blood flow goes away from your GI when you are stressed. So there's a lot of things that are going to be happening. So if you want to now, and this is why a lot of people do well on no carb diets. And they think it's just because I've removed all the sugar. I go, mm, not really. You removed your energy source and that could be, but you've removed all foods that have any sort of fibrous starchiness to them that were hard to break down. And you probably cleared your digestive system, lowered the endotoxin load. Now your body is able to actually use, even though it's not ideal, but it will use the energy that you are providing it better. So you'll feel so much better, right? You just have less toxic load in the system. And that does last for a while. And then till it doesn't, you start to see that those people start to get cold. They have lower thyroid function because they're not getting any glucose, right? Their body has to make it. And anytime you try it, right? And if you're eating a high protein diet or fat diet, you can use some of that fat as energy. So a good amount of your protein is going to have to be converted into glucose to use as energy. And those are all energy expensive, or at least the gluconeogenesis, turning that protein into carbohydrates is a very expensive process. And there's a lot of things in there that you don't necessarily are good for you. You're breaking down all these amino acids. You have some inflammatory amino acids that your body's going through the blood system. Um, you have a lot of ammonia. So it's not an ideal situation. Um, your body can do it because your body's amazing and it can do all of these things. And maybe that's better than having your gut filled with bacteria and toxins, right? It's good, better, best. But over the long haul, it probably isn't ideal for your system particularly because carbs are very protein sparing. And we, we give you carbs, then you don't have to do that, that process, right? It's just, we got to give you the right ones and not ones. And for some people right in the beginning, probably like yourself, you're like, yeah, I do way better on these really simple ones. I'm like, yep, because you're having, there's no starch in there. Maybe your body is a little bit still downregulated from the, from uh, it not having as many. <clears throat> and so it'll respond usually really well right? As long as you don't have some pathological blood sugar issues that might, when you get into your blood, might create a problem. But there, there's, again, there's other reasons that that be happening because endotoxins in itself, because they're inhibiting the cellular process can lead to high blood sugar. So, so, so 
hold on. So endotoxin is so. What's the purpose of endotoxin? Like, what if this is such a regular part of the human GI? Well, why? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I wish I could be an expert on the microbiome and everything that happens down there, but I am not. Okay. Um, you know, our like your microbiome, which is mostly in your colon, you know, consists of, I don't know, like 400 trillion little microbes in there. I mean, it's more than cells in your body. So it's a highly complex area that we don't really know what is doing. Some of them are producing, some of those bacteria are producing nutrients. Some are helping to digest some of the food. Um, but are they always producing endotoxin or I is think, endotoxin only produced when like something's gone wrong? No, I think they're always producing some level of it. And and, and it actually is a normal part of what our environment is down there. It only becomes a problem when I think it starts creeping up higher into your small intestine where, the, where things are going to be absorbed more, right? Because- all of your, but primarily like 90% of your nutrition and energy is absorbed through the middle part of your small intestine. So Some the real problem of the endotoxin is when it gets absorbed and then there's an immunological response because your immune system's kind of living on the other side of the wall there. Yeah. And, and, it, and it hinders energy production, right? And, and, and anytime energy production is hindered, now you don't have the energy to do what you need to do. And things can start breaking down. And now oxygen isn't getting to your tissues, right? Now glucose isn't getting to your tissues. And it, it can happen very quickly. And the whole system can just, right? You can become septic and be dead in like a day. But there's a lot of spectrum <clears throat> below. Like, I think maybe it, it's possible that a lot of people are negatively affected by endotoxin at a low level. Exactly. Yes. They're not even at the end. Yes. There's yep. just a little bit of something they're eating that they think is probably supportive, but it's not, but it's like, it's hard to connect the dot maybe. Yep. Yep. I think there is, like I said, like septic is the, the worst, obviously. Extreme, and and right? then, then there's the endotoxemia, which, right. It might be more of a disease state or, people with obesity have it, right? Cause they have a really hard time utilizing appropriate energy. And then there's just probably a low grade level, which a lot of people are in an unknown, right? And those are the people that could be even eating properly, but maybe they're eating tons of high fibrous foods and their digestive system's kind of sluggish and they're kind of constipated, right? So food stays in them longer than they should. They're feeding more of that bacteria, you know, and then they maybe go out and do a two hour workout and like a two hour workout is gonna increase gut permeability. So then they have some level of endotoxin escape into their blood system, right? But it's not enough for them to really until time, right? And then it just can be time and time just get a little worse and a little worse because they're, they're not understanding where they need to direct their energy because they're still like, well, I just need to eat less. I need to eat more salads. I need to go for another run, right? I got to drink more water. I mean, all of these things and they just stop working. And I've read enough health books, you know, it's normally like, well, you know, it's the food or your age or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's all possibly it's more time on this earth. You've had time to do damage to yourself, right? Yeah. And stress is, it's cumulative. Yes, it can be for sure. I mean, we all have a stressful events, right? We're, we're designed more for acute stress. I mean, and we should have stress in our life because it makes us grow and it makes us learn. It's when we stay in it all the time, right? Your body has this entire backup system driven by stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. So our body can respond, respond appropriately to stressful events and not just die. Cause they're gotcha. like, oh my God, we need all this food. We're gonna just use your own, your own tissue right now to survive. But then we should get out of it and then your body can rest and recover. 
but we live in society now where everybody's under chronic stress, right? We're under the lights where you don't go outside anymore. We're sitting in front of computers all day. We're detached from people, right? We, we, we don't feel as connected anymore with, you know, everyone's on social media. So there's a, there's a lot of variables that are probably interacting it. And I, I think they can just be cumulative, right? It's very right. hard to prove, well, that's the thing. And nobody's ever going to do these studies to prove it anyways. No incentive. But we, yeah. Right. But we do know if we probably sit in front of the computer all day, we don't feel as good as if we were outside in the sun all day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, ask a couple more specific questions. Um, so I've been diving in a little bit to the collagen and gelatin a lot mm -hmm. more since reading your book. Mm -hmm. I've been, um, <laughs> this has been a really, uh, cool new thing in my household i'm making marshmallows okay, which yeah. are surprisingly easy mm -hmm. and uh to get more gelatin in in the diet not just for me but my friend it's very easy to get your loved ones to eat marshmallows if yeah. you want to if you want them to get more gelatin because when i look at the i don't mind in fact i enjoy like the more collagenous uh cuts of mm -hmm. meat i guess mm -hmm. um but the rest of the family generally does not right but it's a marshmallows are a very easy sell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, was, and if you haven't done gummies yet, that's also an easy sell making your okay. own like gummy bears or gummies. And they're so easy to make. Right. So you, and you can make jello, but then gummies and you can just pop them in. And yes, no, yeah. no one has a problem eating those. Either. Well, the marshmallows have been the, the fan favorite locally. And it's it's so easy. Like you make a simple syrup. I mean, I take. I, I could do it in like less than 10 minutes. I got the mm -hmm. KitchenAid out. I take half a cup of water, put half of it in the KitchenAid and the other half on the, in a saucepan and heat it up. Add like a cup of sugar to that, which blew my mind, by the way, at first, I thought it was a misprint in the recipe when mm -hmm. they said, put a cup of sugar into a half a cup of water. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how's that even possible? Mm -hmm. But, um, it, it is melted down. Yeah. It was just easy. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you put the gelatin in the water, in the other cold water, wait for a few minutes, and then you just mix it all. Yep. Turn the thing on, walk away, come back 10 minutes later, and you have like the best marshmallows you'll ever have. And then I add a little maple syrup to get like the flavor of the mm -hmm. maple syrup. Yep. Um, it's interesting too, because I think when you visually, the thing with sugar, it's like visually throws us off to what's actually there. Like that, for instance, I would have generally thought a cup of sugar is just an insane amount of sugar. But mm -hmm. when you compare it to the number of calories of carbohydrate you need for the day, okay. like someone my size could have a cup of sugar and it only be like half the carbs you need for the day. <laughs> and then you need to do it again tomorrow. And again, it's like that perspective is, um, it's kind of a mind fuck. I mean, it's like, I'm looking at, I used to look at a teaspoon of sugar, and if I put it in a cup of coffee, the second teaspoon would carry a ton of guilt with it. Like, I'm going to get diabetes with the second <laughs> teaspoon. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, when you do the math and say, well, how many carbohydrates does your body really want to optimize your lifestyle? So not just the, the being alive part, but the fact that you like to work out pretty much every day, you like mm -hmm. to go for walks, and you like to be active, and you know, chop wood outside or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, you need a lot. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it, it's like, that's a lot of sugar. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I see how it just disappears into a half a cup of water, I'm like, oh, it kind of makes it you see that it's not what you thought it was in a way, mm -hmm. the way it disappears. Um, but yeah, been making marshmallows. But <laughs> that was a 
a little sidetrack there. What I was hoping to do is one, I don't really understand the difference of the collagen and the gelatin. And I don't, I'm not really clear. And I'd like to convey to the listeners what the benefits are for that. And it's, it's see the impression I got from you is that like the more meat you eat, the more that stuff you want to have for some type of balancing process. Can you, uh, can you dive into that a moment? Mm-hmm. Um, so collagen and gelatin usually come from uh, like a bone broth. You usually create some sort of uh, gelatinous substance from that. And it's, and it's coming basically from the collagen of the tissue, right? So it's basically produced from the skin or the connective tissue. And, and so if you were actually going to make a broth and you had these really uh, dense meats that had all these collagen on them, then that would basically break apart and it would go into the water and it would give you collagen. And there's just a lot of health benefits from it. A, it's supposed to pro, it's supposed to be really great for your, your GI, but it's filled with amino acids. So it is a protein, but it doesn't have all the amino acids. It's not a complete protein. So it lacks in things like tryptophan, histidine, methionine, and cysteine. And all of those, as we age, we don't need as much of. And so the belief is that some diets in out there that have you know, shown to be <clears throat> inflammatory, like so a lot of times people that eat a high meat diet because they're eating, eating high amounts of these kind of inflammatory amino acids, which we have studies independently, that if they actually have a, and it's just a either lower meat diet that doesn't have as many of these inflammatory amino acids, or also add bone broth in there because bone broth is void of those amino acids and eat it in a combination with the meat that might have it. It has better benefits for your system and it isn't quite as inflammatory for for the system. And it just kind of supports gut health. Um, It's also high in the amino acid glycine, which glycine has lots of data in that it helps with sleep. It can help with blood sugar. It can help with skin health. It can help with growth of your nails and hair. So there's a lot of benefits of taking it. The differences between collagen and gelatin, and I always say is like, look, bone broth is the most, the least amount of processed, right? It's kind of coming from that. And then you have the gelatin, which is in some level been hydrolyzed and dried into a powder, but that gelatin can be used to gel things. Meaning if you put gelatin into marshmallows, it's going to make it jelly or, or jello, it's, right? It's going to give it that gelatinous substance. The collagen has been broken down once more. We call it hydrolyzed collagen or collagen peptides. And then that will not gel. So if you, so I would use that more for like smoothies or, you know, putting in some sort of cold substance because it's not going to create a gelling substance and you could have it in there, still get some without it turning into a slush. So it's, so the reason it doesn't gel is because of the way it's processed. It's the same like substrate. Yep. It's the it's same. exact same thing, except I think the bonds have been broken one more time so that oh, it can't okay. gel. Mm-hmm. And do both of those have the same effect? Is the gelling effect what helps in the GI because it's like bringing water and moisture? That's like, a would, great, yeah. Would gelatin a, it, be more useful for the GI than the collagen because of the fact that it gels? So just from my personal experience, I have found people have found benefit from either or all sources. The Where there could be troubles is because they are processed and they are in the powder form and they have been broken down, for some people, they can be irritating down the GI lining. And that can be true with any supplementation. Supplements can just be irritating to the GI lining. So any sort of powders can be. So then I find if they don't do well on collagen, 
then they might totally do well in gelatin because it's less processed. So because it's mixed back in and it's already become gelatinous, then they seem to do better on that. And some then don't do well on either. So then they just can only do bone broth. But that's a small percentage. I would say 80% can do good on all of them and they can add them. And some, again, it's a dose dependent thing, right? Some people do okay with a few tablespoons a day. If they go any more than that, it's just too much for them. So I'm always trying to pay attention to when we load things up, how does that, does that make it better? Is that making it worse? And a lot of it is how is their GI system responding to this? Gotcha. Because some, right, that, that always tells you things, right? Your GI system, right, what we call it the enteric nervous system, you know, it has more neurons there outside of the, the spine and, and brain than anywhere else in the body. So there's a lot of communication going on down there. And, but it does, like I said, it turns on when it's down-regulated, that sympathetic state is down-regulated and that vagal nerve is basically saying, okay, guys, we got it now. Let's get the blood flow to the digestive system and now let's allow things to start working. And then we have all those enzymes and bile and all these things going through that system for us to get good digestion and absorption right? That's the, the beginning of everything. Plus it's where your, your immune system's located or at least right. 70% of it, right? So it's, it has a lot of responsibilities, yet it also doesn't function optimally in these pseudo stress states. And if we don't understand that and we're just chronically stressed out all the time, well, you know, I would probably bet everything that you are going to have some GI distress. And the problem is as soon as you have GI distress, then it's going to be problematic at another level because now you're going to have, you might not be digesting as well. You not might be absorbing as well. So then there's going to be less energy available for you to produce energy, which is going to produce less energy, which is going to create less energy, you know? And so you're just getting this right. whole Cycle. circle, right? And then until what happens, when are you going to figure it out? You know, is it to the disease state? Is that when you figure out? Or is it just when you become constipated, right? And, gotcha. you know, the medical space will just be like, consume more fiber or take this laxative, right? That's their answer. Uh, and, and, you know, so they kind of steer people wrong because most people are just told to go drink more water and eat fiber. And that, well, yeah. I'm benefiting a lot. And I think, you know, you mentioned the glycine. I think that plays a big role. I feel like that's a direct intervention with the stress itself <laughs> that can help kind of break the cycle. I'm noticing that because um, I'm even tinkering with glycine on its own, like extra. Yeah. And um, I got enough data points where it's like it it will calm me down. Like I'm coming yeah. out of several years of what I guess was really chronic stress and mm -hmm. didn't, you know, and I blamed it on a lot of other things um, like life situation stuff yeah, and not realizing that my low carb and regular exercise lifestyle was contributing and contributing a lot. And, um, and now like the, the amount of, moments where I feel like I'm in a stress state has dramatically decreased. And I have a toolkit now that when I have it, when I notice like I'm racy, I'm mm -hmm. agitated, I'm like X, you know, it's like excitatory, you know, it's mm -hmm. um that I can take sugar mm -hmm. and or glycine. Mm -hmm. Or both, yeah, and, and with a little salt, and literally within a few minutes, just cut through the stress. Like, could create mm -hmm. a shift where mm -hmm. my nervous system mm -hmm. um, just settles down, and it's it's fantastic. Like having having that having yeah. that because it used to be, and you know maybe that's one of the reasons I, I got into meditation so much. Like I would rely 
on a legit dose of meditation and breath work to chill out. And granted, I still love doing that, but I don't feel like it's needed in the same way to create a shift like all the time mm-hmm. because I'm like out of the chronic stress state. And now I just have, and I'm like, I'm on the home stretch. Like there's light at the end of the tunnel where, you know, there's, a, there are only a few stress swells throughout the day or week. And if they happen, I can make them go away. Mm-hmm. And one thing I learned from the book um, about protein, cause I do focus on protein mm-hmm. and, now I notice, like you said, carbs spare protein. I notice I need a lot less protein and I'm mm-hmm. not, and I'm even with less protein, I'm able to maintain muscle mm-hmm. uh, easier, which has been a, a real gift, I think. But I would eat protein and not really think of the need for carbohydrates with it. But mm-hmm. once I read your, read your book, I realized that I have experience where I'll eat a high protein meal and nothing else. Um, and get a stress response. And from what I understand, the protein creates an insulin response mm-hmm. to get that nutrition into the cell, but in doing so, drops blood sugar. Correct. And then you're in the stress state because the blood sugar is low. And I used to, again, pride myself. I used to wear CGM. I used to pride myself on low blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, that sucks. I feel much better with low, higher blood sugar. So now what I've been doing, again, finding ways to put more sh- sugar in, and I'm not telling, you know, recommending this for everybody. I'm also a 212 pound guy with a good amount of, like I can handle, I think a good amount of sh- sugar, but I'll, I'm making homemade sodas with, with dinner now because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of starch. I don't have a lot of carbohydrate on the table. So the, the drink is like the carbohydrate. And what I'm noticing is I could eat, you know, a, like a burger with no bun or something, some cheese, maybe maybe a small side dish, um, you know, maybe the, like the raw carrots out or something. But then I have like two tablespoons or, or three tablespoons of simple sugar, a lemon lime, top it off with sparkling water, and I have like a homemade sprite, mm-hmm. and I'm so relaxed. Like I'm eating a meal, and then I go for like a a walk after dinner and I'm so relaxed. And it used to be, I'd go for that walk and I would have a, um, like an unrelaxed breath cycle. If I were to describe it, mm-hmm. not like I was holding my breath, but like my exhales, just there was, I was never experiencing a relax, a relaxation phase of my breath. Mm-hmm. And now it's, and now it's gone. And it's, to me, it's obvious. It's the, it's the sugar. It's like you're not having that stress response 20 minutes after your meal because you have sh- sugar there to, to maintain that blood sugar. And it's it's been great. Yeah. And so and just it's to delicious. Get, it's yeah, absolutely it, delicious. Yeah. So just to give your kind of listeners some context, what's happening is um, your stress hormones. Right. So let's just define stress. I define stress as a is anytime the demands on your body are more than your body has the energy that has available energy to produce to, to kind of meet those demands, right? And so that's why it can be anything. So anytime there's a demand and that demand can be anything, it, it, it can be emotional, physical, whatever, your body responds exactly the same, same way biologically. It doesn't care where the stress is coming from. If you don't have enough energy to support it, it will have a physiological response. That physiological response is when your stress hormones predominantly glucagon, adrenaline, and cortisol start to elevate. And their jobs are to raise your blood sugar so that you have enough fuel 
to meet those demands, right? If your blood sugar gets too low, you die. So it's a very tightly regulated property of your body that needs to be managed appropriately. And that's why you have these backup hormones to basically convey to your body, hey, break some tissue down or release glycogen from your liver or muscles so that we can support the system. And so that's their job. And so if you use that backup system to elevate blood sugar, it's going to stay elevated either until the demand goes away or until you actually give yourself some exogenous carbohydrate source to lower those stress hormones back down. Because as soon as the, the body's like, okay, he's giving me something, and right, and that's one of the points of giving simpler sugars. I usually would give like if going onto your soda, like I make a soda with orange juice, half sparkling water, half orange juice. Um, again, because I do want to have some mineral sources when I'm making it. Um, I like the, your your, uh, your your Sprite um, example, but <clears throat> that way that that and those will be digested really quickly into the system, right? The top top part of your small intestine, they get in there and then they're going right to the cells and then they're going to communicate and they're saying, oh, stuff's coming in, lower the stress hormones down. And that's why you are feeling relaxed because like your body's like, okay, we need something. And now he's giving it to me. So now I'm going to feel much calmer, much more relaxed and so forth, right? And yes. And then when you do eat meat independently of itself, because meat cannot regulate blood sugar. It's protein, right? But protein will have an insulinic response, right? Insulin is the hormone that gets sugar and takes it out of the cell. It does the same thing for protein. So if insulin raises and you don't have a lot of carbohydrates in your blood, it will initially create a low blood sugar response. Your body is so quick though to that response that it will start breaking down protein quick, pretty quickly to keep it regulated. So usually on a CGM, you don't really see the dip right? And just because you don't see the dip, because people are like, with my CGM, I ate protein, it's stable, right? There was no dip. And I'm like, yes, because your body has already been like communicating, break down protein, break down protein, elevate it. Yes. And the fact that you just had it stable tells me, well, you're getting that response because if you didn't, it would drop, right? Your body's immediately going into breaking it down, right? And that is a kind of, it's going to come by elevating these other hormones, right? Gluconeogenesis does not happen unless you are in a stress response, yeah, right? Stress state. Yes. And so, and again, it's totally great. It can work. It can work for quite a long time, right? And for some people, it's certainly going to feel a lot better depending on their past situation, but we have to understand why it's happening. And is that the best response to happen to your body's physiology? Now, again, if your body has, has some pathological states at this point, whether you're pre-diabetic, you're diabetic, you have some other issues, certainly not wise to go and just start consuming a bunch of sugar. It's going to whack you out. You kind of have to find out slow and steady how your body's respond. And this is a slow and steady process, especially if you've adapted to not being able to use it, right? If the last 30 years of your life have been super stressful and now you're in that pre-diabetic diabetic state, you are not going to be fixed in a month or two. It could take years, slow and steady, but it can be done. And, and there's different ways to do it, but it is a just slower process, um, you know, for you. And again, then you have to choose kind of what you want to do and how you want to manage it. But I think the body can come out of that space. Gotcha. I, I see I'm about to run out of time and I have at least three more questions. So I'm going to try to choose wisely. Um, well, let's, uh, maybe you'll come back one day. Um, happy to speaking of thank yous. Um, you know, going slow. Let's go with my questions related to that. Um, 
one thing that I have had trouble with because coming from like a low carb diet, I was very fat friendly, you know, like I liked it and I've become accustomed to eating, uh, you know, natural whole foods that, Mm -hmm. that are good sources of protein, but they come with a good amount of fat. And now that I'm adding more carbohydrates, it's definitely like put on weight, which for a while was like great. And overall, I think it's been really positive. And I'd like to like put on the brakes and maybe backtrack a few pounds or so. Um, And I'm finding it difficult to like, I know that you can't just add a bunch of new carbs and not give up something and, and expect not to gain weight. Right. So I think the protein demands are a little bit more absolute than relative. Like you sure. need what you need. That's real nutrition. Um, I think I do need less than I used to now that I'm having mm-hmm. carbs, but like the fat is the category that there's like um, where you could kind of make or break your success. And if I like, I, if I see these foods, like these dairy products and eggs and meats, like they all come with fat. I don't know how to successfully or significantly get the fat reduced. Yeah, that's a do good you, question. Do you mm-hmm. have any like quick tricks or whatever? Because mm-hmm. I'm not I giving do. up the sugar after I see <laughs> and feel all these benefits. Yeah, well, basically it, it, it is choosing lower fat options, right? Whether it's milk and everyone's like, but it's not raw. And it's just like, oh, look, I mean, you can still get good milk that's been pasteurized and get a lower fat version. Um, so I went through that too. And then I was drinking a bunch of whole milk and all these other things. And yeah, you get a little chubby because I mean, you're, and you're kind of just eating a little bit of excess calories. So I primarily will drink 1% milk at this point because I just drink a higher percent of carbohydrates now. And because I drink a lot of milk. For the listeners, I did just cringe. Uh, Okay. Yeah, he did. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, and if you're not going to drink a lot of milk, you can probably have a handful of glasses or maybe you do a combo of some whole, some low fat, right? Because I mean, there's lots of different opinions about obviously pasteurized, homogenized milk, that's additives. Yep. There's going to be goods and good and bad of everything, everything out there. I can find good things and everything else I can find bad things. So So you see dairy is like a primary, uh, like leverage point. Sure. Definitely a leverage point because a, especially if you're consuming a good bit of it, right? So 1% is three grams, uh, full fat can be eight to 10 grams. And if you're drinking a couple glasses, I can drop you 20 grams right off the bat. And so mm. that's one. Yep. Getting yeah, that's cups 120 grams would be 180 calories just there. Yeah. So then it would be, you know, getting leaner cuts of meat. I get like flank and um, skirt steaks. Actually, those all are, has, have some collagen in them too. So you'll get a little bit of collagen when you're eating. They're little tougher cuts, um, but those those would be meat choices. I would get lean ground beef. That would tend to eat more seafood, probably, you know, and not eat tons of red meat and move it around. Um, depending, I mean, I've worked with people and I've moved some people down really low because some people that have really metabolic issues do much better on lower fat. Oh, so really? we might get it down to ten to fifteen percent. So we've oh, really, really yes, and that can be quite challenging. But for them, that's what ends up working and that ends up allowing them to utilize the carbohydrates better. And mm. so as they heal, it could be better. But for a lot of those people, they respond better at that lower rate initially. Like I never, I never tell you, go, look, the diet we are using to get somewhere it probably won't be the diet we'll stay at. We're just using it to get through this path 
and then we're going to maybe address it at some other time. But That's yes, and then primarily utilizing really nutrient-rich, simple carbohydrate sources is helpful, right? It doesn't sound like you're doing any starch anyways. Making sure the gut is working well, because if obviously you are still producing any sort of endotoxin, that's just going to inhibit the, the, the body's ability to utilize the energy, but making sure you have enough nutrition, right? B vitamins are very prevalent in the metabolic process, specifically with carbohydrates, you know, getting enough zinc, copper, um, all of those micro minimal minerals, because they're needed at a high amount. So getting some beef liver and some oysters in your diet every week, those are super helpful. Um, but, you know, and giving your body a little bit of time to just kind of adjust. Yes. But if someone yeah, you wants- mentioned in the book, actually, um, sorry mm-hmm. to cut you off there, but it was, I think it's an important message. You said the weight loss is generally the last thing to come when you're healing the metabolism. It, it certainly can be because your body's having to maybe heal the gut heal the system, get more nutrients in, right? You might need to just get yourself out of that stress state because when all of those things start down-regulating, your body can use fuel better. And so it might not be, you even have to go into a calorie deficit. You can just start using it better. Now your body's like, oh, he's giving me more. And now when I'm sleeping, I can just lose some body fat. And I've definitely seen that happen. For other people, they, we might eventually have to get them into a calorie deficit at some level, very small one to try to help kind of initiate more of a, a weight loss. So we kind of look at a lot of different things, but yes, I mean, as long as your temperature and pulse are doing good, you're having good bowel movements, you feel good, energy is good. I usually say stay at that place if you've been doing it for like four or five months, like allow okay. your body to stay there. And then if you're, the weight's still kind of not moving, then I would probably go into a deficit and see how your body responds. And as long as you still feel good and you're sleeping well, okay, then we can assume that your body's using some of your fat as fuel to keep you going. Yeah, I'm about five months in and the first two months was, um, you know, the digestion wasn't really dialed in. And now I'd say for the last like two or three months, it's really the best digestion I've had in a very long time. So I feel like I'm definitely on the right track. I know that that's a good indicator of overall uh, health. So, um, so I just, I need to be a little patient with myself, but um, you know, the idea of 1% milk does mess with me. I, I have to probably get over some mental hurdles. And, and also you made a good point that it's not necessarily permanent. It's temporary changes. Um, you could get the whole milk too and put it in one of those containers and let it rise to the top and you're right and just drink the milk from the bottom. I don't know if you've ever used one of those. They have them. Oh, separate the. Mm-hmm. So, let, so if you're using like raw, so yeah, it will just yeah, I'm separate using it. Raw. Yeah. yeah, so that all the fat will eventually elevate and then you can just leave the fat for other Oof, things. I don't know. I think maybe <laughs> I'd rather just have less of it and prize it more. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to tinker. I did a few more questions. So. Uh, but I know you have to go, so uh, we'll cir- hopefully we'll circle back around and we'll pick up where we left off. Um, Kate, I want to thank you uh, for giving us the time today and uh, allowing the audience to come along for the ride here. And also really grateful that your book is out there. I think it's great. It's um, it's like my current go-to when people have questions, clients have questions about food, like just read this and then awesome. we can chat. So um, I'm really glad that it's out there. Um, if people want to learn more or if they want to work with you in person, what's the best way for them to, to connect? Yep. They can um, go to my website at katedeering.com and I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Kate Deering Fitness. So I have lots of free information on that. On my website, I have tons of podcasts and so forth. So there's a lot of free stuff. I certainly, I always tell people to go buy my book because it'll help kind of give you some context and a better understanding this whole versus just little blips. 
And then like I told you before, I'm working on a second book right now that will go more into details of just about digestion specifically and detoxification and maybe some of these blocks that might be hindering the energy production. Um, the, the first book is more based on all the food and how the food works and why these foods are the best for you and so forth. So it'll yeah. give hopefully a, a good like round picture of maybe how people should, you know, eat and, and what things could be affecting them. And are you still um, offering currently one-on-one coaching? I am. Um, I do have a wait list. So if they're interested and I kind of like take people on when I have someone get off. So if they want, to, they can come on, they can sign on the wait list and then I will have someone get back to them. It could be 30 days. It could be 90 days. Oh, um, but yes, yes, I still do work. I just, I, I do love working with people because I always find them really interesting and a fun problem to solve on some level. And, and you know, and I learn from them and it just kind of makes me a better practitioner. So um, yes, I, I still see people. Okay. Well, thanks again, Kate. I really appreciate it. it. And for the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed and I hope you got some gems out of there and I hope you have a terrific day. Thanks everybody again for tuning in. I really enjoyed talking to Kate. I hope you got some value out of the conversation. Um, If you know somebody you think could use it, please send it their way and check out katedeering.com to learn a little bit more. And if you want to connect with Kate, you could do that through the website. I appreciate your listening as always. I hope you have a great day.